Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. So grateful to be here, Church Familia. And as we begin today, if you know this, finish it up. To be or not to be? That is the question. But is that really the question? I mean, maybe the philosophers to be or not to be, maybe that's the question. But when I think of the majority of imperfect people like us who live daily lives, not thinking about big cosmic questions, the big cosmic question for the majority of us isn't to be or not to be. The big cosmic question about life is what happens after life? Is there an afterlife? Is there life after death? Do we all go to heaven or do we all go to hell? Do these places even exist? And if they do, how do we get there? Do we just YOLO it until we get there? Today we're starting a new teaching series called Life After Death. And I want to welcome you to the perfect place for imperfect people. I'm Eric, I'm one of the pastors here, to all my church family online, to everyone in this place, to all my brothers at Everglades Correctional, to everyone who's in overflow right now who's trying to find a seat. Uh, Today we're kicking off this new teaching series and we're answering these questions about what happens after life. And I just wanna give you a spoiler for the next several weeks. There is so much life to be had after death. There's so much to experience because of God's goodness in our life. And so I've titled today's teaching, Is Good Good Enough? Turn to someone, tell them today's gonna be a good day. It's gonna be a good day. But now turn back to them and say, but is that good enough? Is it good enough just to be good? Listen, as we begin today, uh, some of you might judge me for what I'm about to say. I don't care. Listen, because the one thing I know for sure is you don't get to decide where I go after I'm dead. And so I've said it before, and I will say it proudly, one of my top five favorite movies of all time, top five greatest movies in existence is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Anybody? Anybody agree with me? We got two pity laughs. Now listen, this isn't to be confused with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which starred a very young, you know, John Wick who played a Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, where they traveled through time in a phone booth to rescue princesses and and capture historic figures so that they can get an A on their final history exam. No, this is Bill and Ted's bogus journey. This is a different story where an evil future bad guy sends to the past, to the 90s, an evil robot Bill and Ted to destroy destroy them so that they can't create a future full of peace and rock and roll. It's all very heady. I'm surprised it didn't win an Oscar, but it's one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Now, I had very responsible parents who let me watch this when I was 10 years old, okay? And what happened, because I watched this at such a young age, is this began to form my thoughts about forever, about eternity. Like because of this movie, because Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, I had this idea that death was determined by a guy in a trench coat with a scythe who was actually a pretty cool guy that I could trick if I was clever enough. Because of this movie, I had this idea that hell was a very terrible place controlled by the devil. And it was filled with all the things I hate in this life, like cockroaches and clowns and, and cauliflower. By the way, like cauliflower is disgusting. Look, it looks like warts. Like, I don't know how you guys eat it, cauliflower pizza dough. Disgusting. 
I had this idea because of this movie that, that heaven was a very tidy place in the clouds. And, and there I could play games like charades with people like Albert Einstein. And so this is what I thought about forever. Now, now I'm a whole lot older. Okay, I'm 30 years past Bill and Ted's bogus journey. But here's one thing I'm confident of. Even though I still may be afraid of cauliflower and cockroaches and clowns, I'm confident that that is nothing like heaven or hell. Today we're going to be asking these questions. What does life after death look like? And the reason I brought up that story is because I, I think that's a, how a lot of us get our ideas about eternity, whether it's from a, a book or a movie or a comic or Hollywood or, or, or you know, a novel written by a little kid who thinks he's went up to heaven one day or sad, sad, sad country songs. We, we gather these opinions and these ideas about eternity and we make them our own and we pass them down to other people. But even though we all have beliefs about what happens after death, what I've found is that many of us aren't confident about that. You want proof? Just today after service, go talk to any random person out in the street. When you're checking out of Aldi or Walmart today, ask your cashier, where do you think you're going to go if you die today? Now, if they don't call security on you and kick you out, if they actually have a conversation, you'll hear things like, I hope I go to heaven. I hope that I'll spend forever in heaven. I'm not sure, but, but I hope I do. And if you ask why, why do you hope you'll go there? Why do you think that may be the place that you spend forever? Almost all the time, the response is because I've been a good person. I've been good. But is good, good enough? As we begin this new teaching series, Life After Death, I, I want to say a statement that may come off very arrogant, but I want you to know that it has nothing to do with any good that I've ever accomplished. See, I know where I'm going, and I know why I'm going there, and there's nothing on earth that will ever change my mind about that. Where I am going is forever with God in my home called heaven, where there is no sickness, where there's no shame, where there's no pain, where there are no problems. I'm gonna spend forever in an eternal home called heaven, and I am confident about that. And some of you here, you have that same confidence. But that's the whole point of this teaching series, that every one of us in this room will have this same confidence about our eternity. How can we have this confidence? Because God said so. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how we can have this confidence. And if you're here today and you're saying, I'm confident, I'm secure about my eternity, I don't need this. Maybe you don't, but someone you love, someone you know needs this. And so that's why I want to encourage every single one of you. We have these invite cards. Grab some on your way out. Invite somebody. Share this online today. We all know somebody who does not have the same hope and confidence about forever as we do. And so we want to talk about that over the next several weeks weeks is good. Good enough is what I want to talk about today. 
Is good good enough is the question I want to answer today because even though we may have differing opinions determining you know, what forever looks like based off of your different beliefs and different religions in this world, the one common denominator that all belief systems have is that what you do on this side of eternity determines what happens after you die. And the overwhelming majority of people, specifically in this country, believe that something good happens after death. And if you're good, that's where you go. And the logic is very simple. It's because people believe if God is good, then God dwells in a good place. And if God dwells in heaven, then heaven must be a good place. And so a good place must be filled with good people. Therefore, in order for me to get to this good place, I must be good. Right? This is what a lot of people believe. But is, is that good enough? Is that answer good enough? Because we need to know the answer to that question to have the confidence, to, to have the confidence we need for what happens after death. Is good good enough? Is heaven filled with good people? Well, hopefully it's not filled with bad people because that wouldn't be heaven, would it? Could you imagine a place for all of eternity where people can cut you off in traffic, cuss at you, and then, you know, throw you the finger? That doesn't sound like heaven, okay? That's not good. It sounds more like Hialeah, amen? <laughs> Is good good enough? How do we get to this good place? What, what does God determine that is good enough? Here's a definition of the word good according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. To be good is to be morally excellent. This sounds like Bill and Ted's. To be excellent and virtuous and righteous, dude. To be morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, pious. The second definition of good is this. Satisfactory in quality, quantity, or degree. These are just two of the 47 definitions that Merriam-Webster's dictionary gives of the word good. And I'll save you the time. We're not going to read through all 47 of them because Merriam-Webster doesn't get to decide what God deems is good. So I want us to go to the very first book of the Bible. You can follow along on the screens. You can download our app. Go to your app store. Search for the local church while you're flipping there. In the very first book, in the very first chapter, in Genesis chapter 1, we get God's definition of good. Genesis 1.10, it says this. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. It was good. This is the first time we see that word good in the Bible. God said this was good. And then we see in verse 12 that God says it's good again. And then in verse 18 and then in verse 21 and then in verse 25, he says it is good. But then in verse 31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. In the first chapter of the first book of God's word, he tells us what is good. And that word good is the word tov. And what that means is to be in harmony with God. To be good is to be in harmony with God, the way that God had intended it, or God's standard. Say standard. In 2016, my wife and I, we were finally able to purchase a home here on earth where we could raise our children. 
But when I looked at this home, I told my wife, I, I don't want this home. This is too small to be our home. It's too old to be our home. It's nothing like I would imagine the home that we raise our family to look like. But my wife said, it's a good home, and it's affordable home, and it's in a community where we want our kids to grow up, and the reason we're going to get it is because it's a fixer-upper. Now, many of you are familiar with that phrase, fixer-upper, right? Because of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Thank you, Chip and Joanna for popularizing the fixer-upper. Like, let's knock down some walls and, and let's make it look rustic and we'll put up some shiplap. Oh, there's so much shiplap in our fixer-upper. Here's the issue, though. I was doing the majority of the fixing-upping in this house. So we got our plans, we got our timelines, and I'm the one who has to do all the upgrades and the repairs. The problem is I am not a professional. And so my standard was quick and cheap. That's what you get with me. All I'm trying to do is pass inspection, to pass the building code. But my wife, she had a different standard. Her, her standard wasn't Cooper City's building code. Her standard was, this is our house. This is where we're going to live. And so it has to be perfect. God says that good is according to his standards. And God's standard is perfection. Now that poses the problem to us today because how many of us here are perfect? Anyone? Anyone at home? Nobody. Nobody is perfect. We've all said oops at some point in life. We've all made a mistake. How many of us in this room have ever gone through a red light at some time before? Show of hands, perfect place for imperfect people. A lot of you. How many of us have, have at some point in our life never fully stopped at a stop sign? Maybe kind of rolled through it. Oh, a lot of young people pray for the next generation. All right? We've, we've made a mistake. We've broken the law. All right, how about this one? Perfect place for imperfect people. Would you care to admit if you've ever left the house in the morning without brushing your teeth? How many of us? Yeah, that's not wrong. That's just gross. So. <laughs> Disgusting. All right, what about this one? How many of us have ever sung the song, Happy Birthday to You in a crowd of people? Show of hands. Should be every single person here and online. Do you know that that is illegal? Oh, yeah, it is. When we sing happy birthday in a public setting, we are infringing on someone's copyright. It is literally illegal to sing happy birthday. The more you know, now you know. All of us, we've all broken the law. But if we could be more serious, we, we've broken God's law. I mean, that copyright infringement for happy birthday, that's a dumb law. Amen. But God gave us his law. He gave us 10 commandments. And we've all broken at least one of them. If you have lied, how many of us have lied here? Show of hands, come on. Yeah, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're lying right now. <laughs> we've all lied. Listen to what James 2.10 says. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. And some of you saying, come on, that's not out of 10, man. That's still an A on a, on a curved scale. Like, that's good, but that's not good enough. Good enough is still not 
perfect. God's standard is perfection. Even if you were 99.9% good, that's still not good enough. Come on, of course it is. Did you know that if 99.9% were good enough, listen to this, 5.5 million cases of carbonated soft drinks would be delivered flat. That means you pop open your Coca-Cola and there's no fizz. 5.5 million cases if 99.9% was good enough. If 99.9% was good enough, 2.5 million books would be delivered with the wrong cover on it. 114,500 mismatched pairs of shoes would be delivered this year. If 99.9% was good enough, 20,000 prescriptions would be written incorrectly. If 99.9% was good enough, 44 flights a day would be deemed unsafe across the globe. And if 99.9% were good enough, 12 children in America would be given to the wrong parents after birth every single day. So when it comes to things that are important to us, good enough is not good enough, right? We want perfection. How much more the things of God? What is good to God is according to God's standard, and God's standard is perfect. And that's a problem for us because none of us are perfect. None of us can do enough good to be good enough to meet God's standards. Now, I want to make this clear. We'll talk about this in upcoming weeks. It's not that good works are good for nothing. Good works are good. Good works are important. While we're still here, we should do good because they, doing good things makes us feel good, right? It makes us feel better about ourselves. Doing good things points people to God's good love. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, but the problem is when we start thinking that our good works aren't sufficient for us to meet God's standard. When we start comparing the good that we've done against the bad that other people have done. When we start comparing ourselves, that's not the way that we should see. Because a lot of us, our excuse is, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Did you see what she posted on Instagram? I would never do such a thing. Do you see what they're wearing to church? How dare they? Kids, be grateful that I'm not like that bonehead neighbor, okay? You have a good dad because I'm not as bad as him. We compare ourselves. And when we start comparing ourselves and what we've done to someone else, we may be a towering skyscraper with all the good works that we've piled up. And they may be a, a two-bedroom old fixer-upper house. But you know how God sees all of us? Turn to your neighbor. Tell him God sees like Google Maps. Do you get that? He's not on the ground level. He's not looking up or looking down. He sees everything. And to God, no matter how good or how bad, no matter how successful or how sinful you have been, all of it is the same for God because none of it is perfect. So I want you to write this down. Understand this big idea. When we compare our sin and success in light of God's standard of perfection, it all falls flat. 
It all falls flat. We can't do enough good. We'll never be good enough. We can't compare to perfect. And that's the real problem why good is not good enough. Because none of us meet that standard of perfection. None of us are actually good enough according to God's standard of perfection. In fact, Romans 3 tells us that all of us, we fall short of God's standard. Every single one of us. All of us, we miss the mark. All of us, we sin. And this sin is what separates us from a perfect, loving God. In fact, if you continue on in Romans, Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of our sin The payment, the penalty that we have to pay because of our sin, the Bible says, is death. It's eternal separation from a holy and perfect and loving God. It's hell. Some of you are saying, well, that's not fair. I've been good enough. It's not fair. No, it's not fair. This world is not fair. And because of sin, this world will never be fair. There was a time, though, where everything was fair. There was a time where everything was perfect, where everyone had equal opportunity and access to know everything about God and his love, where everyone had a job and a meaningful uh, means of employment and and a perfect family structure, where everyone knew what was expected of them because God didn't give 10 commandments. God only gave one. And he didn't have to write them on tablets of stone because everyone already knew what was expected expected of them. And this perfect time I'm talking about where everything is fair is found in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I'm not going to talk a lot about it today because we talked about it several weeks ago in our Blockbuster series, but a lot of us, we know how the story ends. One of the greatest gifts that God gave to us is the freedom to choose. And with this gift of freedom of choice, we can either use it for incredible good or evil. And for this choice to matter, God gave a choice in this perfect, fair environment called the garden. He says you can choose to obey this one command or you can do what you want to do and disobey. And when Adam and Eve chose to do what they wanted and disobeyed God's standard, listen to this, they, not God, they invited and introduced sin into this world forever. And the idea of fairness was now thrown out the door. And from that moment on, we began to treat one another with unfairness. We began to treat God with unfairness. We had fair. We had perfect. But because of our sinful choice, we now separate ourselves from God. God kicked them out of the garden. They can no longer be in his presence. Now from this point, God has a choice. 
God can choose to wipe them out and start all over. But what God chooses instead was grace, mercy, and forgiveness. God gave grace. He, he, he gave to us a gift that we did not earn. God gave to us mercy. He did not give us the punishment that our sin demanded. God forgave us. I want you to write this big idea down. I want you to understand. I pray that it resonates in your heart today and at home. Listen, God is not fair. God is forgiving. God is not fair. In order to, to save our relationship with him, God did something unfair. God sent his one and only perfect son to die for sins that he did not commit. This was unfair to God. What fairness would have been was making us pay for the wrongdoing that we have done. What fairness would have been is punishing us for, for our sinful nature, for our disobedience, for not meeting God's standard of perfection. But God didn't choose fairness. God didn't do what was fair. God gave us forgiveness. He chose to forgive all of our sin that separated us from him. Back to that fixer-upper that, um, that we took so much time and money to fix up. Um, I remember as we were waiting to close on this house, we were doing some furniture shopping and we bought this big blue sectional couch from City Furniture. It was big, it was nice, it was comfortable. It was the most expensive piece of furniture that we'd ever spent money on, this big sectional couch where we saw our friends and our family and guests and students coming over and watching television and having Bible studies. We couldn't wait to put this, this new sectional couch into our future fixer-upper home. How many know what this is? Oh, it's not Play-Doh, it's slime. I don't say I hate a lot of things, but I hate slime. Like whoever invented this, we're talking about hell next week, I'm not saying I wish you go to hell, but oh man, if this isn't hell, I wouldn't be surprised. My son Ethan was three years old and Part of his Christian school education was to make slime. He brought the slime home, and I'll save you the story. But parents, you know, if you get slime on any fabric, it doesn't come out. My son ruined this new sectional couch. And I tried to clean it, I scrubbed it, I bought the kit from City Furniture, we did everything, and the more I tried to clean it, the more it went deeper into the fabric. Our couch was ruined. Now in this moment, what could I have done? You know, because I can't explain to my son what he had just done, it wouldn't resonate with him. I couldn't, I couldn't articulate, no matter how clearly I would communicate, the, the, the problem this caused for mom and dad, the time that it took to try to clean it up, which we couldn't, the cost that it's going to take to replace this couch that we bought. So what am I supposed to do? Do I sever the relationship? You're no longer my son. 
kicking him out of the garden. Go find a place to live with the name. No, of course not. Do I demand that he pays and punish him until he can pay us back for the couch that he ruined? That, would, that might be fair. I heard parents say yes. Hold on. I heard some parents say yes. No, I caught that. <laughs> where, where is he going to get the money? Right? Like, I can't demand you pay back. He has no concept of how much money that costs. I did the only thing that I could to someone that I loved as much as my son. I kneeled down. I said, Ethan, come here. What you did was not good. And so don't ever bring slime into our house again. <laughs> and for those of you who are parents, you know that I probably said that a whole lot more passionately than I just communicated now. But, but I did, I, I kneeled down and I said, son, now come to me. And I stretched out my arms and I invited him to come and to experience my love and forgiveness. Like for me to, to figure out what was fair that's not appropriate. Not for someone who, 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 who can't pay it back. What I had to choose was forgiveness for the one that I loved, even if it meant that I had to pay for his mistakes. Romans 3.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what is fair. But it continues. But the free gift, the gift that God had given that we have not earned, that he's given to us freely, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God sees our sin as a debt that we could never repay. That to try to make us pay back our imperfections is like my son saying, hey, um, dad, I will clean the room because of what I did for the couch. Like, that's a nice gesture, but it doesn't fix the problem. You ruined the couch. We can't pay God back. We can't be good enough. But Romans 5, 6, it tells us, but God showed his great love for us Romans 5, 6, sorry. It says, while we were utterly helpless, meaning there is no way that we could get ourselves out of it unless someone intervened. We were without hope because of, of, of the price that was demanded for our sin. And then Romans 5, 10, it says, but God showed his great love for us. His great love, that's the key. He's not out to get you. He's not watching over you and wants to punish you for everything you've done wrong. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Meaning, while we were still acting unfairly towards God, while we were still acting unfairly towards other people, Jesus chose forgiveness. Jesus chose to forgive all of our sin. That's not fair, but that's love. That's God's great love for us. John 3, 16, it talks about this great love. It says, for God so loved, he so loved, 
He didn't just tolerate. He didn't just like and give hearts on social media. He so loved the world, which is you. This is who the door is open to, the world. He so loved the world that whoever, whoever, that means all of us, whoever, whoever would believe, that's the criteria, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. It's God's so love, his great love that saves us from our sin. It's God's great love that transforms us to live for him and to love other people. And that love is what followers of Jesus call the gospel. It means the good news of God's love. So to answer the question, is good good enough? No. But I want to give this final point. Write this down. The good news is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Those who've received the love and the forgiveness of God. He has made a way for all of us to get to heaven, to be in relationship with him. That's the love of God. That everyone who believes in him could be forgiven. Now, we'll talk more about in the upcoming weeks what this love does for us, how this love and forgiveness transforms us and can actually help us to forgive people who've sinned against us. But, but today, no matter what you've done, no matter what you failed to do, today you can be forgiven. You can have a forever home in heaven with God. Over the next several weeks, we're, we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. Next week, we're going to talk about hell. and We're going to talk about how we can rescue our friends from hell and, and what it looks like. Then we're going to talk about heaven and this incredible destination that's, that is being prepared for every single one of us. And so we're going to answer a lot of our questions about heaven and hell. But here's the thing about these eternal destinations. It's a question we ask at the conclusion of every service. Not only what is God teaching you, but what are we going to do about it? We can ask all these questions and give all these answers about eternity and never make a decision about them. And today we have that opportunity. Like that story we saw of my friend Nikki, who she was confident that because of Jesus stretching out his arms on that cross, he built the bridge and she came forward to receive that. And she knew from that day forward, everything was different about her life. Today, you can make the greatest decision of your eternity. You don't have to wait until we talk about hell to be safe from it. You don't have to wait until we talk about heaven to know that you have a home there. Today, you can be forgiven and saved. Would you stand to your feet right now? This year, we've seen 327 people place their trust in Jesus. Their forever is changed for good. At our nine o'clock service, 16 people 
said, I need this forgiveness. I need this freedom today. And in this room and at home and in overflow, if you're here, today you can make a decision. If you're here and you're saying, I need this freedom. I need this forgiveness. I need this relationship with God who loves me. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith right now. It's scary, but you can have the confidence that you need for your forever by responding to this. If you're here today and you're saying, I need this forgiveness, I need this salvation, I need a new life today in Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? Yeah, keep your hand up. Come on, I see so many hands across the room. Now here's what I want to do. Okay? You've already raised your hand. I want to meet you down here. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. So if you said today, I need that hope, would you come forward right now? You guys are already here. Look at that, front row pays off. Come on, and while they're doing that, would, would you just give God praise? Hey, thank you, thank you. Hey, thank you. Here's what I want you to know. And you can continue to come up. Here's what I want you to know. That was a step of faith that was crossing over a line in the sand. You taking a step saying, I, I need to receive this love. Let that be the confidence for you that today on September 18th, your life has been forever changed. Because it's not a prayer that saves you. It's not your good works that saves you. It's your faith in Jesus by believing and receiving. And so here's what I want us to do, Church Familia. They've already made this decision. The Bible says you are a new creature inside, but we just want to confirm it. And so would you just pray out loud together with me as we pray over them? And would you say this? Would you say, Jesus, I have tried to do good all on my own. And my good is not good enough but you have been so good and loving to me. So I receive that today. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I believe that you love me and that you're making a home for me in heaven. Help me to walk in this truth from now until death, knowing that nothing can ever separate me from your love. Thank you for new life. Thank you for a relationship. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, can we give him praise right now and say amen? Hey, for those of you who've come up, we want to give you a booklet to help you take some next steps. We want to help you in your journey with God. And for those of you at home, that you may have a seat. Thank you. Thank you so much. For those of you who are at home or for those of you who are saying, man, it, it felt, I, I just couldn't. I raised my hand, but but you, you may have a seat if you like. But but I just wasn't sure if, 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 if people would look differently at me if I came up. Listen, I grew up in a church where they said, if you deny Jesus in front of people, then he's going to not deny you before the Father. Yes, that is scriptural, but that's out of context. It doesn't mean if you didn't come up, you're going to hell. I want you to know that if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, the Bible says that you are a new creature, that you are forever changed, that you are made new in Him, and this is the beginning of your forever in heaven with Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. 
You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.